So the big question is this, how do veterinarians like you, who live demanding lives, who never seem to have enough time, able to achieve balance and take control of your finances with confidence? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. We are Florida Veterinary Advisors, and this is the Smarter Vet Podcast. Hey, Smarter Vets, welcome back to another episode of the Smarter Vet Financial Podcast. This is your one of your co-hosts, Tom Seco. I am one of the founders of Florida Veterinary Advisors. We are financial advisors that work with veterinarians in the veterinary community across the United States. Uh, today, I've got an incredibly fun guest uh, that we're going to have some conversation on some financial things and some of the work that she's doing. And before I jump in, uh, if you are one of those that are really into your finances or you're looking to try to get into your finances and it's something that you've just been not really sure or you're working with some people and you feel like you might be missing some things of what you should be doing, uh, we created a video course that's exactly to help you be able to create more awareness around some of the areas that you might be wanting to address a little further. Uh, it's a five-part video course where it walks you through a process of how to really gain clarity and look at your finances from a 30,000-foot view uh, and then be able to hone in on the things that really matter to you. If you want to take the course, or if you want to go through some of the videos, you'll find the, the link to the video course in the description of this podcast. Uh, it's called the five foundations of financial balance. So if you want to watch it, make sure to go click on the link in the podcast description. Without any other further ado here, this guest I have on the show today, she's we've done some work together. We've spoken together at some conferences. We've done a lot of cool things already. Uh, we've shared some some burgers over at Tucker's Burgers over in Oklahoma. Uh, it was a blast, and uh, I'm actually very excited and thrilled to have her here. She's works uh, works the majority a lot in California and lives in California, uh, and helps a lot with veterinary practices, uh, just helping them with their overall getting better in a way. And I'll let her explain more of what all that looks like. Uh, but I want to bring on the show. She's the owner and founder of Fur Paws Consulting, uh, Andrea Crabtree. Thanks for coming on the show with me today. Hey, thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me. I have to say, I am one of the blessed few people that I've had a mother trucker burger with you. Yes. That was fun. <laughs> I know. mother. <laughs> I still keep thinking back to that. I mean, those burgers were actually pretty good because I know I liked how they put the onions and then they like smushed the burger. I don't know if I don't think you did onions though. On your I didn't burger. do onions. I was a little worried. Yeah, I have you're to little... say. <laughs> my wife always makes fun of me because I love eating onions raw sometimes on things. And she's just like, that's gross. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, it didn't it look is... appetizing with all those onions <laughs> smashed in the meat and the bun, but the mother trucker burger was good. It's a that's good experience. Awesome. Fun times. I love it. Thanks so, for having me on the show. I'm excited to chat with you. This is uh, this is gonna be good. Absolutely. And for anyone who is not familiar with you and how everyone's listening right now, it'd be great if you can give a little plug about, you know, where did you start, where you're at right now? You know, what is your business about? Cause it'd be great for those who are, um, would like to be able to maybe engage with you or work with you in some capacity. It'd be good for them to know. Yeah. Fantastic. So I started in veterinary medicine about 20 years ago, worked my way up the leadership ladder fairly quickly. I was a practice manager for quite a while and a certified veterinary practice manager. And I realized that a lot of my colleagues and friends were asking me for advice and I was not charging them. And I thought, wow, I could make a business out of this. Hmm. So about 2014, I started doing some consulting on the side. So I started for Paz Consulting full-time in 2016. And it's been, uh, you know, no looking back from then growing leaps and bounds. I absolutely love it. Instead of helping just one practice as a practice manager every day, I get to help practices all across the country do magnificent things in their practices from developing their human resources, compliance, um, help them have healthy financials. So we can dig into that if you'd like, mm -hmm. um, but just about anything, a practice manager 
um, deals with day in and day out. I, I work with business development with practice owners and practice managers. And, and I absolutely love working with a different team every day on a different project. That's really cool. It's so that transition that you made to actually having your own consulting business, like what, what made you decide to just say, Hey, I'm done doing what I'm doing. I want to do something else. And I want to have my own business. It was actually my fiance at the time. Uh, we're okay. married now. I was a single mom for 20 years and I would have never been able to go on my own financially as supporting a kid. And so I had to have that full-time regular paycheck and mm -hmm. I was doing all this consulting on the side. And my fiance was saying like, you can't keep working 90 hours a week. This is crazy. And he says, why don't you just pull the trigger and go full-time? And we would have to depend on his finances if I didn't have work. Right. And he said, well, you can always go back to a full-time practice manager if you need to. Mm -hmm. So it was really my husband, Andrew, that made me decide, okay, I can do this. I can uh, we can live off his pay. Like we can pull the trigger and do it. And so it was really him that pushed me to um, do consulting full-time and never did we bat an eyelash moving forward. But God has blessed us tremendously with our finances. And that, even though that, that transition was scary and I was nervous, it was easy peasy. That's really interesting thought that you brought up there because there are a lot of people that we talk to from just wanting to transition from their career. They want to start their own business. And the fact that even though you're transitioning from, we, we usually refer to on our side, like a technician, you are being the person who's working there, doing the business or doing the work on a day-to-day -day basis. So then you become an entrepreneur, you have your own business now. However, you do have the opportunity to say, Hey, this isn't working. And I'm just going to go back to doing what I was doing before. Like, right. You know, at least you gave it a try. And if it was you, a safety net, yeah. Mm -hmm. You got a big, big, uh, big fat fail at the end of the day. If it just didn't work out, like you learned and then you get a chance mm -hmm. to go back or, you know, you succeed like you've done so yep. far, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a great fun path. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's really cool. So, you know, I, with the whole thought of, you know, you started your, your business back in 2014, went full-time in 2016 and, you know, being a single mom and having these, these certain decisions you're making out through, through your life, you know, we're just talking on, on the side, of course, starting a business. What are some of the things that you've experienced throughout your life from a standpoint of, Hey, I, I made this decision that tended to either it was, you decided at the end of the day, it was really not a good move for you, or it gave you an opportunity to really learn. And it was, it turned into something better over time. Like it, initially it was like, not very good. I mean, there's tons of decisions I can look back on now, especially as a single mother, were not great decisions as far as, uh, as a work-life balance or raising my son, being a single parent, I worked three and four jobs at a time to make ends meet. Mm. And there was not much time left then to raise a child. It was, you know, fly by the seat of my pants. And I really tried hard to make good financial decisions and never, ever could splurge on anything like a pedicure. You know, it was like the choice between that and and private school. I didn't have to make those expensive choices of putting my son through private school, but I felt like that was almost made up for the fact that I wasn't around. I could put him through a really good school and give him a good education. If I just worked one more job, one more shift, one more hour or something like that. I didn't necessarily have the best grades because I was working so much, mm. you know, D for done. I think I had pulled that one out once <laughs> for the most part, it was D D's and done. C's, but <laughs> D for done. I look back now and think like th those were probably not always great choices for again, work-life balance or being a mom, mm -hmm. but they were necessary choices to keep my, you know, food on the table and rent 
pay the car payment and, and things like that. But you know, that's what happens when you single parent and, and to keep the, the lifestyle that I wanted to have for my son, you know, put him through private school and, you know, have a Xbox or whatever was the latest fad, you know, not that we were lived extravagantly, but yeah, being a single mom in California, like that's expensive, super oh, yeah. expensive. Yeah. California is it's, yeah, I was even Insane. looking the other day that the, when, when oil was going up because of this whole invasion happening that yeah. oil was a uh, gas was at like eight or $9 a gallon Yeah, it's Cal- in certain spots. Yeah. yeah we're paying uh, about $6 a gallon right now where we are in, in orange County and LA County. That's rough. Yeah, I know the other day rough. it was like four fifty where we're at and it was, it's still like to a certain part, like but what's an interesting thought, just complete tangent here in a way uh, is that people like they sit here and they look at gas. It's like so much per gallon, uh, but then go and buy a bottle of water, a 16 ounce bottle of water that's, you know, $2. And, you know, there's eight 16 ounce bottles in one gallon. So like, if you're to buy, you know, eight of them at a convenience store type of thing, you know, you're going to spend $16 on a gallon of water by doing something like that. And people yeah. do that kind of mindlessly, but then they see gas. And I understand with some people's livelihoods, it is, it's a big thing because it's like, Hey, it's, you know, cost me a hundred dollars to put gas in my tank versus yes. 40. Yeah. And like, well, and they're not buying it one gallon at a time. Like they are their water bottle, right? Yes. They don't put that <laughs> two and two together. Yeah. My sister and her husband lived in Europe. He's European. They lived in, um, she traveled to Europe and anyway, my sister and her husband lived in Europe for many years and the liter price over there, as it translates to gallons and mm-hmm. you translate the Euro to dollars, it works out to be 11 or $12 a gallon. Right. And I think like we can't complain, right? Because it can always be worse now that granted they do have better public transportation than we do, but yeah, still, yeah, it's expensive. I remember that when I went over to, when I first went over to Europe too, I saw it was per gallon or per liter. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh yeah, their gas isn't too bad over here. And then I was like, oh no, that's, that's per liter. Yeah. That's, it's pretty rough. (laughs) It's not a price. So with the whole world of, you know, the business that you're in and the stuff that you you have going on, of course, you've been through some challenges yourself and you've started your business up. And when you look at the, the veterinary community as a whole, and you know, what you're doing with Fur Paws Consulting, what do you see that are some of the challenges that some of the veterinary practices are running into that you're helping, helping them solve? I think the biggest issue that I see in my clients, and it's nationwide, it's all my clients across the United States, my colleagues across the United States, a couple things is battling the lack of candidates to fill empty positions and empty seats in the practices. Mm -hmm. The candidate pool that we choose from is no longer, it's not even a pond, it's dried up. You know, the most recent statistic I heard was that there's 18 positions for every one veterinarian Hmm. and the lifespan of a, of a licensed technician is five to seven years. And we just, and and you know, that the number one position to turn over in the practice is reception. It's usually two to three year lifespan for a reception before they graduate college and move on or find another job or whatever the case may be. And so we turn over and just churn through employees. And in the past, it wasn't as um, in our face, if you will, because we could replace them. And now we're struggling to replace them. And during COVID right. with the crisis that we faced, they were, you know, out on leave or they were, you know, out with COVID or exposure or whatever the case may be. And we just didn't have employees. And it, it, even though we're not necessarily having that crisis as much anymore, we're still dealing with the fact that we can't find veterinarians. We, we can't keep our employees and we can't replace the ones that have left. And so that's been a really, really big struggle 
one of the struggles that I see with my practices that's just been basically across the country. And so what I've tried to help clients, my clients and practices understand is, yes, it's, we have to look for new employees because it is what it is, but stop losing the ones you have. If you have talent, you need to retain that talent. So what are you doing to make the employees not make them stay? We're not going to chain them to the, to the desk, you know, but I mean, how you can, can try, we, right? Yeah. Well, they <laughs> tend to like get a saw. Out of. Um, how can we keep the employees that we have and, and keep them happy, right? How do we mm-hmm. have employee engagement and employee, you know, high employee retention and make the employees that we have happy? The other big struggle that almost all of my practices are battling right now is culture. And we, we've never really talked about culture in a practice, partly because the practice owner could make whatever culture that they wanted. And if the employees didn't like it, there's the door, right? Mm-hmm. This is how it is here. And it, it's the culture that the practice owner maybe didn't necessarily want or think of. Like we didn't ever think about this is the culture we're creating. It was just organic. Right. Um, but again, if employees left, we could replace them. So if they didn't like the culture too bad, this is what it is. And I think now practice owners and practice managers are realizing that we have to work diligently on creating the culture that we want and cultivate good culture, whatever good culture is, like everybody can define that differently. But when we have defined it and say, this is what we want, we have to cultivate that and work on that on a regular basis. And we never did that in the past. We never identified that. At what point did this, this pivot happen? Like, was it because of the environment of what is in it? Has it been over the last few years or has it been like literally within the last year that you've noticed this? When did the culture become main, main topic of conversation? Culture, I would say, started to come three to five years, maybe. And a lot of that was when we started to realize that veterinary medicine does not have a healthy work-life balance. We don't have healthy mental wellness, right? Mm -hmm. We struggle with mental wellness. And so we started to talk about culture in practices when we started to pay more attention to mental health and mental well-being. And then COVID exasperated that exponentially because of the crap that happened through COVID, you know, very difficult and challenging clients, um, employees that, you know, couldn't show up to work, didn't show up to work. Um, and and so it, it it really had a hard, (laughs) yeah, like kicked us in the teeth while we're down kind of thing. So like with, with this whole culture thing being like, I mean, that's, I I could imagine with it just, it's sort of put this like huge spotlight on this issue now over because of COVID that popped up and now you're over here in practices working with them. What are you doing to help them address this? Uh, the first thing I usually start with is an employee assessment, like find out what the culture is and what's toxic. So hmm. things like an engagement surveys or just talking with your team and finding out like ask them, right? Like ask them, <laughs> you don't know what's going on unless you ask them. So just talking with the teams and trying to figure out what is toxic in the culture, you know, where are we missing the mark as practice managers or practice owners? And then from there, build a plan to work towards filling the gap, trying to make sure that we're having an employee-centric practice where we're taking care of the team members that are there, that retain the talent that we have, um, talk with them about some culture development and make a plan on how you're going to execute that over the course of the next months, weeks, years to come and continue to cultivate good culture in your practice. So just start with asking the question, like what's going on? What's happening? 
And then how would you suggest going about doing that would be something along, Hey, I'm going to go meet with them individually. Do you meet with them as a team? How do you start the conversation? All of the above. I have a survey monkey that is employee engagement and survey monkey is free, like up to 10 questions. It's super easy to jump online, create an account, like build an engagement survey. And I have one that I share with anybody that asks for it and, and they can see some of those questions and you may need to design that, you know, according to your practice, but it's a great way to start. You can do it in team meetings. If you have a team that will talk most of the time, if you have bad culture, no one's going to pipe up and say anything. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And ask them what sit one-on-one and ask them open-ended questions, right? So any of the above that, that a practice manager or practice owner is willing to try or do just start with asking a question and it can be in any format, be on a post-it note and pass the post-it notes out. Like, you know, like just something as simple (laughs) as just ask your staff, right? Yeah. 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 That's actually, I would imagine that it's very hard for some of these practices, just even with us on the uh, topic of culture, that I need to sit down, talk with my team. I would imagine it'd probably be best to start with them one by one. That way they can kind of openly have conversation with you just in the event that you want them to share things with you uh, to a certain degree if you can. But otherwise, you know, having these conversations, getting these points and then being able to, I would imagine so many of them struggle with how do we, how do we take all of this and then implement it? Like, what are the the next steps? You see that yeah. being a, a struggle? It can that a be lot a have? lot. And I think practice owners, when they don't, or practice, even practice managers, when they don't have somebody working alongside with them on culture development, it can be a lot because typically the practice owner is seeing clients, right? The practice manager is busy doing payroll and everything else, hiring and firing and everything else. And so it's difficult to sit one-on-one with them, right? They don't have the time for that. And that's why I say put together an an employee survey through SurveyMonkey because it's free, it's quick, and it's anonymous. So employees Mm -hmm. are going to more than likely give you honest feedback because it's anonymous. And then you can collate that information much easier in a, in a format like SurveyMonkey. It just makes it more uh, efficient for practice, for leadership teams to get information back if they're going to do it themselves versus working with a consultant like me. Like I'm going to be able to take the time to have individual conversations with team members hmm. and collate that information and then formulate a plan from that info- information of how we're going to move forward with it. That's pretty solid. Okay. So when you look at the practice management and this consulting stuff that you're helping with right now, what would you say is another category, another one that you're seeing actively that you're helping these practices either address, adjust, implement new processes, improve things like what else would you say you're working on? Employee retention for sure. I think that is a big thing. Um, Recruiting is what it is. It's hard. It's rough. Like like I'm always helping practice managers design better ads on Indeed or recruiting processes to try to find good candidates. But I think that employee retention is where we miss the boat because we're so busy looking for someone, you know, to fill the seat, which I'm not saying that's not important, but we don't want to have two and three seats then because we miss the employee retention part of it, right? So working with practices on employee retention and saying, what is it that we need to do? How can we keep our employees? And and what I'm hearing a lot of is they want more wages. And I think you're right. That's fair. How can we change our finances? And I say change because we can make change within our practice to have a healthier financial practice in order to pay our employees a better wage, a fair Mm -hmm. wage and compensate them appropriately. And it's not always 
the dollar amount, like their wage per hour, sometimes it's benefits or it's culture or, right. you know, it's something else. It doesn't always have to be a dollar more an hour. Sometimes it is if we're missing the boat on that. But I think working with practices on employee retention and working with them on having a healthier financial practice so that we can afford to pay more or mm -hmm. offer more benefits or have a better culture that is it's that's worth something to employees to have a good culture. Absolutely. So I think there's just a lot kind of wrapped up in employee retention and culture kind of, they tie in together significantly. And there's a lot of other things that, that play into that, right. It's benefits and yeah. Well, what's interesting that you bring that up too, because there's, there's certain things that are out there that I've seen from studies because the compensation is a piece that gets brought up a lot. And of course you want to make sure people are receiving you know, they're getting compensated for their expertise, their knowledge, for their experience. They're actually getting one, of course, you reference like a living wage. They need to be able to at least survive. Uh, I, I will say, and I hate to be the person to say this, there are sometimes people when it just comes to their, their financial decisions and their habit making, um, they probably could work on that a little bit too, because they make relatively decent money, but then the way they use their money in a right. way is you know, however, right. also when you do add in there, I think it was maybe 15% or less was relating to how I'm actually, how much money I'm receiving. And it's more about other different factors that are coming into play. Like you made mention to of benefits and, mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to just like the, the, the culture, the camaraderie that's in there, mm -hmm. uh, you know, are there ways that they feel like they're actually have some kind of purpose inside mm -hmm. the practice? They're not just there kind of just doing a job, but there's a, a greater mission. Intrinsic rewards. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. There's, there's something that's more that's there. So, you know, th that's in, in powerful. And I know that, you know, we help a lot support those things that you're talking about too, which is uh, really cool. And you know, let's just say that right now, if, if there's one thing that you could suggest, like a simple thing of saying like, Hey, you know, if I'm not going to engage with you, is you'll make maybe like an assessment that someone could take, is there something that they could ask their team or their practice or they ask themselves that would say, Hey, um, you know, ask yourself this or complete this assessment. And this will help at least give you a, a good direction on maybe something you could do right now, um, in your practice, maybe some like a little action step. Well, of course, there's like 50 running through my head, but I would okay. say like, look at your turnover rate, right? Yeah. So take the number of employees that you've had employed for you, part-time, full-time, I don't care, every single employee that has been on your payroll for the last 12 months, let's say, right? And how many you currently have and how many have left and you divide that number, you know, how many have left into how many you have total and look at your turnover rate. And if it's higher than 30%, you have a problem at your practice. Wow. And that like, first and foremost, if you look at that and say that your turnover rate is higher than 30%, then take steps to address that. They need to call you. <laughs> right. Happy, happy to help them for sure. That's awesome. Well, that's, yeah. that's actually a very incredibly simple step that someone can take right now. And I'm sure like, it, it's so hard. I know when people even ask us about financial things, it's like, what should I do right now? And it's like, well, we got to talk more about what's going on and right. you need to understand what's happening. And yeah. Uh, and I, I would imagine that the first time you ever do meet with a practice, there's a, you probably go through some sort of like an assessment or you go through a conversation yeah. to right. just do more data, yes. data gathering. You got to dig in a little bit deeper to find out really what, you know, what's the elephant in the room, what's going mm -hmm. on, what's happening and really when it, where the leadership team wants to take it too. Sometimes we ask questions that we're not going to make a difference. We're not going to change that. Right. Right. And so don't ask it if you're not willing to change it. Right. But 
if there are things that you're willing to change, ask those questions strategically so you can get answers that will help you move a needle somewhere, right? Move the needle to either decrease employee turnover, increase employee retention, whatever the case may be, but move the needle somewhere, somehow that you're working on your practice, not just in your practice, mm-hmm. you know, making yourself cuckoo crazy, right? And, and it's hard right now because everybody is so busy. And that to me is, that's always going to be the excuse. We're always going to be busy. When, when is there ever not going to be a case? When is there ever not going to be an employee issue, right? When is there ever not going to be a bill to pay? Like it's never going to happen. When so are you, unless when are you, you purposely carve out time. Yeah. When are you ever going to have the time right. to do it? Right. So you just have to carve out the time and filter what's coming in you know, so that you can carve time to say, nope, today I'm going to spend, you know, one hour or two hours a week or a day working on your practice and say, okay, this, this is important. Our turnover rate is high. Our retention rate is low. Like what, what are we going to do to move the needle here? Love it. Awesome. These are a lot of great, helpful things. And I'm sure for those who are listening right now, uh, there's really some great things to pull from this conversation. And if you're not one creating any awareness around these things, you might want to start digging a little bit deeper. And if you're stuck, that's where people, uh, you know, like Andrea can actually step in and be able to help you with these different things. And uh, I, I want to ask you a completely off the off the cuff, random question here. Uh, if I'm you ready. were stuck Let's on an it. island and you had a choice of one food to eat for the rest of your life, mm-hmm. what would that food be? Pizza, hands down. Pizza? Pizza. I how was, would, I love pizza when I was pregnant with it? my son. I ate large pepperoni and spicy sausage to myself with a gallon of chocolate milk all the time when I was pregnant. And to this day, it's my son's favorite food, pizza. Pizza in our house is, he actually is a manager of a pizza at an Italian restaurant. Like it's, it's pizza in our house is a staple. It's a must have. That's incredible because I love pizza too. Like that's, it's, it's a full rounded meal. And I can't say this enough. Like you get your, your carbs, you get your veggies, you get your fats. That's right. It's delicious. You get it all. To go with it. That's so great. Well, I appreciate you joining me on the show today. I'll make sure that we include the uh, way to get in contact with you if anyone wants to reach out as well. Uh, yeah. And I'd love for your listeners to know about my podcast, Positive yes. Leadership Podcast. My co-host, David Liss and I, we drop an episode every other Wednesday and they can add it to, to their, uh, your listeners can add it to their podcast subscription. So they get those new episodes. It's amazing. It's a lot of fun. We giggle, we laugh. Um, crack a beer, open a glass of wine and, and join us. It's fun. Absolutely. And that will also include, make sure to include that in the description as well. So if you want to find it, it's called positive, positive leadership podcast. Perfect. Okay, cool. Yeah. So you can find it everywhere. Uh, make sure to go download. I'll create a link in there as well in the description, uh, but it's been fun. I appreciate you being on the show with me today. Thanks Tom. Absolutely. Well, for all of you, if you have anything that you want us to talk on, or if there's certain subjects you'd like for us to discuss, please make sure to Uh, reach out to us. We're happy to talk on them. You know, let's make sure we're friends. If you haven't written us a review yet, make sure to write us a review on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Uh, Even just go to our Facebook page, Smarter Vet Podcast, and write us something. We'd love to hear from you so other people can also hear about our show as well. For now, this is Tom Seco wishing you a lifetime of financial success. Don't forget to visit our website and sign up for our newsletter. By subscribing, you'll be the first to know about upcoming race-approved CE webinars, podcast releases, short presentations, and articles that we publish. Make sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on LinkedIn, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. See you.
CJ Burnett and Tom Seco are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, and financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. CJ Burnett's and Tom Seco's California licenses are 0K79676 and 0K80141, respectively. Security products and advisory services are offered through Park Avenue Securities, LLC, a registered broker-dealer, investment advisor, member of FINRA and the SIPC, and a wholly-owned subsidiary of Guardian. Florida Veneer Advisors is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. This podcast is for information purpose only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or Florida Veterinary Advisors, and opinions stated are their own. Submission number 20231634478 expires October 2025.